We are going to have some fun this morning. We're in a series entitled, It Shall Come to Pass, and we're talking about what the Bible says is going to come to pass. This morning, we're going to take on a ton of information. So if you're taking notes, um, hope you can use your thumbs quickly or can scribble fast. Um, if, I'm going to go through a lot of verses. Just go ahead and write the references down. You probably aren't going to get to copy and paste the whole things. Um, and if you have questions afterwards, I have eight pages of notes up here, about 30 or better pages in the back of more information. And verses, if I don't list enough verses for something, it's because I didn't have enough time. I have plenty of them in my notes. If you have questions, come and look. All right. We're talking about the rapture. And some of you guys are like, sweet, I wanted to know this. And those people look at me and go, what's the rapture? So let me kind of give you a brief synopsis. This has been talked about a bit lately because of the Left Behind movie that just came out. But the word rapture, I've had some people look at me and go, well, it's not in the Bible. And you're kind of correct. Uh, the word rapture is actually a Latin word. Can you guys all say rapture? Well done, speaking Latin. Okay, so rapture is a Latin word. Um, it, is, it comes from the Vulgate. And you go, what's the Vulgate? The Vulgate is the Latin translation of the New Testament. So, or actually I think of the whole entire Bible. So, um, if you put up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. In this passage right here, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That phrase, will be caught up, that is the phrase in Latin that is rapture. In Greek, where our Bible is translated from, it is the Greek word harpuzo. Um, so, if someone says they don't believe in the rapture, they either don't believe the Bible or they're trying to play a semantics game. What the rapture refers to is the return of Jesus and the calling up of the church, the calling up of believers. Um, and there are some different beliefs about it that we're going to get to in a few minutes. But uh, what's important for you to know is that Jesus is coming back and he is going to gather those that are eagerly waiting for him. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. The Bible talks a lot about the rapture. In Acts 1, 11, it says, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus has been there with disciples. He just gives a great commission, and it says that he ascends to heaven. And it doesn't tell us how he does that. It doesn't say it was Iron Man style. Hey, guys, peace out. <laughs> like, I don't know. It doesn't say, you know, Superman. <laughs> it just says he ascended. So I don't know if he was, like, talking and just all of a sudden started, like, floating. I don't know exactly how it looked. But I know that he went up, and his disciples were staring off in the sky, and an angel showed up and goes, what are you doing? And then there's another, well, he, he went up there. I think there's a cloud blocking our view. Like, I don't know. But they're there. They're, they're looking. And the angel says to them that why do you stand looking like that's a waste of time? This Jesus who is taken from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. If he's going to come back the same way, why would it be a waste of time to stand around looking? Unless that there is going to be a gap of time between when he left and when he returned. So, 
But it, it begins to refer that Jesus is coming back. At Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and I believe the twinkling of an eye is one fortieth of a second, so it's pretty quick. Um, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. And so over and over again throughout our Bible, we find that it says that Jesus is going to come and to take away those that are eagerly waiting for him. Um, in Titus, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Does anyone like shakes? Do you have anybody who likes shakes? Anyone like chocolate? Anyone really like chocolate shakes? Would anyone do something embarrassing to receive a chocolate shake? Particularly the chocolate shake that's on its way up here quickly. All right, so I have a chocolate shake, and I want to know who thinks that they want the chocolate shake the most. Raise your hand if you think you want it the most. All right. You, 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 and who? There was one other one. And you, come on up. All right. Here, we're going to make these, these rules very, very simple. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to embarrass yourself. You must do so in a decent manner. It means all clothes need to stay on. Okay, now, with that said, you have 30 seconds to be the most embarrassing one. Crowd will judge who's the most embarrassing of you, and I will give them the shake. And it may be under 30 seconds because I've got a lot to say today. Okay, so on your marks, get set, embarrass yourself. And uh, he who does the best or she who does the best wins the shake. <laughs> <laughs> We have some, uh, we just mostly have confused people. All right, all right, guys, I think that they, they, they're seeming to do the same thing. So who thinks that someone did the, all right, I'm going to put my hand over them. If you think they were the most embarrassing, be loud. If you don't, then don't make noise. You two can have a seat. All right. or no, sorry, you two can have a seat. It was between you. Nicole, come on over. You have a friend with a really high-pitched voice. All right. Apparently, standing over in the corner doing this looks the most awkward. So here you go. Here's your shake. You guys can have a seat. Now, why would a high school student come in front of a bunch of high school students and intentionally embarrass themselves because they had a hope of what was to come. It was not just, I just want to be awkward, otherwise I would have called up some different students, but uh, <laughs> some students are experts in it and they thrive on it, but love you, Noah. Right. <laughs> no. um, but what they, what they were doing is they're going, I believe in something, therefore, it will change the way that I behave now. And what this verse told, told us in Titus was that while waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our, in the, in the verse before it goes through, it says that this hope is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It says that our belief that Jesus is returning for us is meant to affect how we live today. 
And you can go through, and there's a lot of verses that talk about this. But for you guys to understand, one of the reasons that we're talking about the rapture is that the Bible tells us that we're supposed to encourage each other with these words, and that our hope of Jesus' return, our expectation is to affect how we live each and every day. Jesus talked a lot about his return. In John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. So Jesus makes it very clear. He goes, I am preparing a place, and I'm going to come to take you to that place. I am coming back for you. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. You do not know at what day your Lord is coming. And it goes on in verse 44. It says, therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Um, in about six other spots, it refers to Jesus coming back like a thief. And you go, well, what does it mean when it keeps telling us that Jesus is going to come back at an hour I don't expect when he's going to come like a thief? Have you ever heard of a thief calling somebody up? Hey, are you going to be home at about 10 o'clock tonight? Um, I'm planning to come and rob your house. If you could leave and leave the front door unlocked. In fact, if you would gather all the valuables and put them in the living room, that would make my, uh, my stop much quicker and helpful. I could make more stops tonight. Thank you. Like, they don't do that. They, they show up unannounced. If they're like really, really crazy, then they're like, not only are they going to show up unannounced, they're going to stalk you ahead of time and find out when you're not going to be there and then check and figure out what door or window you leave unlocked. And, and they're, going to, they're going to come without any preparation. And if you're prepared and have a big dog, a nice gun, or an alarm system, then, then you're ready when they show up. And Jesus makes this point that you need to be ready because you're not going to get a warning. He says, you need to be ready because he's coming back. And we go, okay, great, great. Like a thief, but when? And that's really a funny thing that he announces it as he's going to come back like a thief when you don't know. And everybody's question is, well, when is he coming? Well, he just said you don't know. Yeah, but I want to know. So there are three basic views that we're going to cover this morning. And we're going to kind of give you the synopsis of Pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. And some of you guys are like, sweet. Others are like, pre-what's going on? So let me give you a, explain here. Um, tribulation. Trib stands for tribulation. There, if you read through um, both, you'll find it in Daniel, you'll find it in Revelation. As it talks about the end times, it refers to a seven-year period often referred to as the tribulation. In this seven-year period, the Antichrist will come to power, and if you want to know more about him, that's another story. But he's going to come to power. In the first three and a half years, he's going to wage war on a bunch of different nations, and he's going to conquer a bunch of different nations. There's going to be peace with Israel for the first three and a half years. Then he's going to break the, priest, the peace treaty three and a half years in, and in and throughout this says that God's wrath is going to be poured out on um, on earth, Revelation chapter 6, verse 17 says, For the great day of wrath has come, who can stand? Revelation 15, verse 7 says, And the one, the four living creatures who gave the seven angels golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. Okay, so this is the tribulation time. This is seven-year period referred to as tribulation. Now, anyone ever seen a preview? When do you watch a preview? Before the movie. Okay, so pre stands for before. So pre-trib 
is those that believe Jesus is coming back before tribulation. Mid-trib. Mid stands for middle. Middle of tribulation. Post-trib stands for post, being afterward, after the tribulation. We're going to go through these in order. Pre comes before mid and before post. So I'm going, for the most part, to start with pre. I'll bounce a little bit. But we're going to go through these views and why people hold these different views. All right, so pre-trib. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So if Jesus is going to come back for those that are eagerly waiting separately than when he deals with sin, that would appear to be um, coming back pre-trib. Because we know from Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 that there's going to be a time when he separates the sheep from the goats, when, when Jesus stands up and separates people and says, you are right with God, you are not right with God. And he begins to go through and they look at him and they go, why? And he begins to tell them and he separates them. And that's at one point. So if Jesus is coming back once for those who are eagerly waiting for him, but separate from dealing with sin, then that would imply a different time where he's coming to gather those that are eagerly waiting. And that'd be one argument for pre-trib. Next argument for pre-trib would be the imminent return. For those who are going, what are you referring to with an imminent return? It is the belief that Jesus could come back at any moment. Um, and throughout church history, in fact, this, is, this is, goes before just what we would consider early church history. You can go back into Thessalonians, which is one of the uh, books of the New Testament. The guys in Thessalonica, which is the place where Thessalonians is written to, were afraid that they had already missed Jesus' return. Because they believed that Jesus' return could come at any point. And so people will say, well, hey, in order for people to always need to be ready for Jesus to come back like a thief in the night, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, then it would have to be pre-trib. Because otherwise you could look and you could go, hey, look, there's a seven-year peace agreement that just got signed with Israel. Jesus is coming back in exactly three and a half years or seven years. And so from a pre-trib standpoint, they say that the expectation that Jesus could come back at any point in time is a sign that it's pre-trib. Now, if you're standing post-trib, you'd look and go, well, you know that he's coming back afterwards, but you don't know the exact day and hour, so it could still be said that um, you don't know. But still, if you knew he was coming back post-trib, you, you would have a indicators of a, of a much more specific, and it would, it would take away from the constantly having to be ready that Jesus said we needed. Um, but in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, sorry, 5 verse 2, it says, for yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, if Jesus return, they're going to be saying peace and security. If you read through Revelation... And you go through, in fact, there's a section in chapter 8, verses 7 to 12, where it's going through and it's like a third of this got destroyed, and a third of this got destroyed, and a third of this got destroyed, and a third of this turned to blood, and a third of this. Would you describe that as peace and security? So if that's not a description of peace and security, if that's going on, people aren't going to say peace and security. And he says when he's coming, people are going to be saying peace and security. That would imply that he's going to come back before all of that chaos kicks off. So they would go and go, hey, this is a very strong pre-trib argument that Jesus, in order to have that come 
be true, then it would, it would seem that he's coming back pre-trib. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Um, that Jesus delivers us from wrath. This is another pre-trib argument. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Remember, when we talked about the tribulation, we read Revelation chapter 6, verse, I think it's 12, no, verse 17, that said that this is the great day of their wrath has come, to refer to the Lord, and then again in Revelation 5, or 15, verse 17, that this is a time of wrath, and it says that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. And preacher would say, well, if Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come, then we have to be taken out before his wrath is poured out on man. Now, if you're post-trib, they have to look at this and go, well, the wrath it's referring to then is simply hell. And they, they, they differentiate there. But in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, it says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And that's right before it rolls through things in Revelation. So this would appear that the, the wrath that it's referring to, or the time of the hour of trial that Jesus is going to keep them from, is in the tribulation. Uh, a lot of Bible teachers will look and say this is in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 4, it starts with come up here, talking to John where John's vision goes and begins to go up into heaven. A lot of teachers will say that with that come up here is not only calling John, but is referring to the calling up of the church. And it's why the church is referred to constantly throughout the first um, three chapters and is not referred to again after that. But, uh, so these, these would be arguments for pre-trib. Encourage each other with these words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, also again in 5, uh, verse 11. It says that, talking about the rapture, that we who are alive will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Is the idea of going through tribulations encouraging? No. So if our educated knowledge of when his return is supposed to bring hope and encouragement, where does that logically put his return? Pre-trib. So many will go, well, if this is supposed to be encouraging, it's pre-trib. And then some that are post will look at you and go, well, even in the midst of a storm, it's encouraging to know what's on the other side. And so that would be their argument against this pre-trib argument. Jesus, in Matthew, sorry, Matthew, Luke 21, verse 36, says, pray that you may escape. Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. If Jesus tells you to pray that you could escape the tribulation, would it not make sense that he'd like to fulfill your prayer? So why would he pray for something that's not possible? But if your being ready to, being able to escape was dependent on you being ready when he comes back before tribulation, then that verse would make sense. So that would be a very strong pre-trib argument. Then you go down, and this is probably my favorite. In Luke chapter 17, verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They, will be, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. The flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven, destroyed them all, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. 
Jesus points out two things. Points out number one. When, when the wrath was poured out on these places, everything was normal. They were buying, they were selling, they were getting married. When you look towards the end of Revelation, any, it is anything but normal. You look and you're like, there is enormous earthquakes, people are running, people are hiding. And they look at this and they go, well, if things are going to be business as usual when Jesus returns, then that would mean pre. But the other thing that Jesus points out is that nothing happened until Noah was on the ark. Noah spent years building the ark. And nothing happened until Noah was safe. And Noah was in the ark. And then you look at Lot. And there's a really cool thing with Lot. Um, in Genesis chapter 19, and for those who aren't familiar with the story of Lot, Lot moved into the city of Sodom, which was an incredibly wicked city. God said the city needed to be judged. And Noah, Noah Abraham asked this angel, said, hey, would you save the city? And they have this conversation. He gets it down to 10 guys. He goes, would you save if there was 10 righteous people? And he says, yeah, I would save the entire city for 10 righteous people. They go in, there's not 10 righteous people. In fact, when these angels show up, the whole town gets together and tries to rape them. It messed up city. So God says, all right, I'm going to destroy the city. Lot, get out. And Lot goes, I don't know if I can run to where you asked me to run. I don't know if I'm strong enough. He says, get your wife, get your kids, get anyone you have, and get out. The city's going to be destroyed. And he goes, but I don't know if I can make it. He says, um, well, what if I only, what if I can get to, and he lists this other spot. And he said, they said, the angel said, escape quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. He says, I can do nothing until you arrive. The judgment on the wicked waited for the righteous to be removed. And to me, that, that, that states something going, if he says it's going to be like in those times, and the angel said, we cannot pour out judgment while the righteous are here, that would indicate that before the wrath that is poured out in Revelation is poured out, that Jesus would first remove the church. Um, then we go through, another argument would be, one's taken, one is left. Luke chapter 17, verse 34. I tell you that in the night there will be two, two in one bed, one will be taken, the other left. There'll be two women grinding together, one will be taken, the other left. Um, we, again, I referenced this earlier, that in Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about it, he says that... Um, the king, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. He talks about separating the righteous from the unrighteous. When he judges everybody, there's a point where everyone, he calls everyone together. The rapture seems to be different than that time because, again, he says that one will be taken and one will be left. When he calls everybody, then who will be left? So if this is not when he calls everybody, then he is calling up those that are ready for him before he calls everybody. And this would be pre-trib. And then you, you can go through and there are verses that talks about Jesus coming with his saints and other verses that talk about Jesus coming for his saints. There are verses that talk about Jesus coming on the air, in the air, and there are verses that talk about him coming to the ground. And 
as a pre-trib, they'll go through and say, well, he's coming in the air to receive his church. He's coming back with his church to the ground where he'll set his feet on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split and the nations of the earth are going to wage war against Jesus and Jesus wins and goes through and paints um, a bunch more stuff. But we get to try to get into mid-trib and post-trib. Mid-trib. Um, Revelation chapter, chapter 7, verse 3. Do not harm the earth or the seed until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Um, this verse could be referring to the rapture. It could be re just referring to those that are, are, um, are still alive, um, that have repented since the rapture. And this is where a bunch of theology is going to be built around. There's this idea, you have to understand, that during the tribulation, it is possible for people to repent, regardless of whether you're pre-mid or post. Um, People can repent during tribulation. And you can argue whether people repent because the church is still there and preaching or because there were people who knew about God that weren't ready for God as Jesus made all of these things saying, hey, make sure that you're ready because I'm coming back like a thief in the night. From a pre-trib, they'd say, well, if Jesus comes back and takes away millions of people that are right with him, how many people are going to look around and go crud? I know what just happened. They can tell me on the news whatever they want, but I know tons of people that just disappeared and they all have one thing in common. They love Jesus. I know about Jesus, but I was living for myself. Could you imagine being in that place? I think that if Jesus came pre-trib, that there'd be a lot of people going, I'm sorry. And repenting then. Because they'd look around and they'd go, how many millions of people, 100 million people just vanished? Hundreds of millions of people just gone. It wasn't aliens. They just selected everybody that had a real relationship with God. Yeah, no. Um, so a lot of these arguments hinge on the fact going, the fact that there is a believer on the earth during tribulation, is that because Jesus has not taken the church yet? Or is that because people repented when they saw the rapture? Because people repented during this time when, when, the, when they hit rock bottom, when things got crazy, when, in fact, there's a spot in Revelation where it talks about an angel declaring the gospel, um, that they heard it, that they repented. Uh, so you'll, you'll find here it goes through and says, seal these. So if they're still there, is that referring to the rapture? Is that referring to those that have been there since then? People can argue back and forth. Um, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. These are those that have come out of the tribulation. If they came out of the tribulation, are they all the believers? Are they believers that repented during the tribulation? Are they... Those that he raptured, are they those that were executed for their faith, regardless of whether it's because Jesus had not returned or because they had, were not ready when Jesus returned and had repented since then? Um, then in Revelation 14, is a really strong uh, mid-trib. It'll go, no one can learn, or post, no one can learn the song except for the 144,000 who've been redeemed. It is these who have not defiled themselves with men for their virgins. If those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes, these have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits 
for God and the Lamb. First fruits supposed to come first. So if these are the first fruits, if these are the first fruits of all believers, that would imply that Jesus has not yet received all of the believers to himself yet. Now, if this is just the first fruits of Israel, which it refers to the 144,000 and them being from Israel, and then that could be a different thing where he's talking about the salvation of Israel itself. But depending on how you interpret that one, that is a, a mid or post-trib argument. Looking at just at post-trib arguments, um, Revelation 7, verse 14, talking about those that came out of the tribulation. Sir, you know, he said to me, he asked who these people were. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made white in the blood of the lamb. Once again, there are believers coming out of the tribulation. We get to argue and go, are there believers coming out because Jesus has not returned yet or because during the tribulations, there are people that have repented? And it goes on. Probably the strongest, in my opinion, uh, post-trib argument would be Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those who had the authority to judge, was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or its image, nor received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Now, as it refers to, um, these are the first, this is the first resurrection. The pulling, the raising up of those that were dead. If it's referring to those that have died during the tribulation, well, because everybody else had been yanked ahead of time, then cool, then it can apply anywhere. If it's referring to all people, then this would be a very, very strong pre-trib, or probably post-trib argument. Again, in, in like 2 Thessalonians, in Chapter 2, inside of eight verses, there's a pre-trib and a post-trib argument. He sits here, and it sounds like he's saying that the Antichrist can't be revealed um, until, see, how does it go first? That Jesus can't come back until the Antichrist is revealed, or the day of the Lord can't come until the Antichrist is revealed, but the Antichrist can't be revealed until the one who's restraining him is taken out of the way. And that's often referred to either as the Holy Spirit or the church. Well, if it's the church, that would mean that the rapture already happened. If it's the Holy Spirit, Jesus said that he'd never leave us and forsake us. So he's not going to take his Holy Spirit away from us before he takes us. So that doesn't even make sense. So is he going to... And, and I, could, I could get there and I could argue a bunch of it. And I, in fact, I could say I could. I did. I sat in my office going, what is this going on? And I'm reading all these different verses and I'm having arguments with myself. Um, it was interesting. But this is what's important. There's a lot of different ways that we could read this and we could go, you know what? I think he's coming here. I think it's mid-trip. I think it's pre-trip. I think it's post-trip. And we could have fights, but that's pointless. What's important to realize is that Jesus is coming back. That he might come back pre-trip. He might come back mid-trip. He might come back post-trip. And we need to live ready for pre because you may have no warning. Jesus could come back tomorrow. He could come back next week. He could come back today. Are you ready? And we need to live our life ready with the hope of his return, going, I know that he's coming back. Am I living ready? We need to live prepared for post-trib because I wish I could promise you it will be pre-trib because the idea of being here for tribulation is unappealing to me. But it might be post-trib. 
Furthermore, do you realize that today there are people dying for their faith? There are people dying because they believe in Jesus. We don't see it very often in the United States, but do you realize it's happening in other parts of the world? It's so easy to get inside of a bubble and go, well, it's not happening here, so it doesn't count. There's not persecution. There is. And did you know that in the Bible that there is no promise that the persecution that's happening in other parts of the world won't happen here before he returns? Even if it's pre-trib. He can come back before the seven-year peace treaty is signed, before everything comes out, and that doesn't mean that there won't be persecution here. It doesn't mean that it's not going to start and how persecution would start, I don't know. I can sit here and make arguments that it'll be hate speech laws and they'll call anybody who stands for anything different than what they believe um, uh, guilty of hate speech and different things and, and we could go through and debate politics and that's a mess. But this is what's important for you to understand. You need to be ready because Jesus could come back anytime. You need to be prepared going, I want to live ready regardless of what come, because there's no promise that things won't get rough. I will live ready. I will live prepared. Because when things get rough, it is not the time to throw in, this, throw, throw in your hand. He's coming back. I look and I've talked to people go, who've asked me a question. They said, you know what? If someone was to put a gun to your head, and tell you to deny your faith, would you do it? And I looked at them, I was like, of course not. They're like, how could you know? Because they don't have enough guts to deny my faith, especially with a gun in my face. What if they pull the trigger? You sit here and say, I just stood for my faith. Very easy to stand confident. How bad would it suck to deny your faith right before they shoot you? I, I just looked at this and I just thought about it. I'm like, you know, when things get hard, it's the time to go, you know what? Where is my hope? Is my hope in this moment or is my hope in eternity? Because what I do right now is setting up eternity. Because I believe that the Bible is so clear you can argue, and I've found people who, who argue and they say stupid stuff like, there's no rapture. Like, you're a moron. Um, the Bible talks about it all the time. You may believe that it's post-trib. I don't have a problem with that. You may believe that it's going to be, and, and I can go into all of these views, and you, you may believe it works out different, but the Bible is very clear that Jesus is returning. If you don't believe Jesus is returning, you don't believe in the Bible. Are you living ready? Are you prepared? Because I can't answer and go, he's coming on September 15 of 2015 at 5.01. Make sure that you've uh, repented for anything. You know, like, I, I can't do that. All I can do is say, he's coming back. Are you ready? And are you prepared? Because I'm not sure which side of different things it's going to happen. If you're in here and say, you know what? I'm not ready. Maybe you thought, you know what, hey, I could get ready when I was older. Maybe I'd get ready, I'd do this later. But you know what, if Jesus could come back today, tomorrow, next week, I want to live ready. I want to live prepared. 
I want to live for him. I want my hope of his return to affect how I live every day. If you need to make that decision today, I want to give you a chance. Can everyone bow their heads, close their eyes? This is your chance. Say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to declare him to be Lord. I want to live for him, and I want to be ready for his return. I want to be one of those eagerly waiting for him when he returns, whenever it may be. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, get ready. Two, three. Raise up your hands nice and high. That's me. That's me. Awesome. Who else says that's me? Most important decision that anybody ever makes. Awesome. All right, you can put your hands down. The Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we're going to call on his name. We're going to declare him to be Lord. If you've done this before, go ahead and join us. If you raised your hand, go ahead and repeat after me. Say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.